And so, again, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 7. I had done a lesson on chapter 7 back in the COVID year, I think in 2020. And I think I did this over at the Lewis's house. And so, I think everyone here, this will probably be new to y'all, so it, it worked out anyways. But... This chapter, I mean, it's it's a pretty interesting chapter. I didn't realize it because I, I mean, to me, I think it's kind of kind of plain what's being said. But a lot of people have a lot of confusion about what 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 is said about chapter seven. And then uh, going back up to chapter six, I wanted just to kind of think about the context of chapter seven before we get into it because I think chapter six kind of clears up some misinterpretations that we see in chapter seven. And at the very beginning of chapter 6, it says, uh, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that, that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So here he's making it clear. We were baptized into Christ's death so that we should walk in newness of life. All right? And so this question that could arise that we have this grace, and so because of this grace, that means we can just do whatever we want to. We shall continue in sin. Paul makes it clear. Absolutely not. We should not continue in sin. Uh, down in verse 11, he says, Likewise, also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace again we've died to sin we're dead to sin we're alive in christ therefore if we've died to sin we shouldn't sin don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies and what's interesting enough we don't have it here if we kept on looking through chapter uh, to verse 15 you will read this discussion about being a slave of sin or being a slave of righteousness and it's interesting that we're going to be a slave of something whether we realize it or not people claim that they're free that they can do whatever they do paul says well these people are actually bound to sin and really in the case that's true because they're bound to that desire whatever the desires the desires control them and so in that sense they're a slave to that sin uh, that sin but we recognize the consequences of that sin and so we either have a choice, we either are a slave of that sin, or either we're a slave of righteousness, which takes us into chapter 7. And it says, O do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband, so, that, so then if while her husband lives she marries another man... She will be called an adulteress, but if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, 
to him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. A lot of times we look at those these first few verses here in the context of marriage and also in divorce. And so we'll read in the scriptures that one reason that one can that the that the bond can be broken is through adultery. And then we also see here that also death breaks that bond as well. But Paul is not making a point here about marriage. That's not his that's not what he's talking about here. He's using something that all these individuals that were reading just know that they, and they understand to make another point. All right. And so if one dies, they can, that marriage bond is no longer there. But if the person is still alive and marries someone else, they're going to be called an adulteress. So going back to Romans 6, Remember what Paul said, you have died to sin. You know, you were baptized into his death. And so therefore, my brethren, you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another. All right. So it's not a mixing of the two. It's not a mixing of the law and of the gospel. It's not a mixing of the old and the new. It is you're now dead to the law. You're now dead to sin. And so, therefore, you're married now to another, that is, Christ. And so, now that we're married to him, it says that we should bear fruit to to God. And notice, we see we have, we either bear fruit to God or we bear fruit to death. It says in verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were work in our members to bear fruit to death. All right? So we're bearing fruit either to God, we're bearing fruit either to death, but now we have been delivered from the law. Now we can serve in what he says, the newness of the Spirit, and not even the oldness of the letter. But notice what he says here in verse 5. He says, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. Okay, And so, if you're thinking about that, if you read Romans, when and he, he says something, and then he'll... He'll ask this question. You know, he anticipates some question. And if he doesn't do that, you can, I can see how it'd be very easily misunderstand what he's saying. There's already been plenty of people we've seen in chapter 6 and in chapter 5, the people apparently have been misunderstanding what he's saying about grace as well. And so when you see this law here, the sinful passions were aroused by the law, you would start thinking, and I would start thinking, well, What's the purpose of the law? Well, is the law there to make me sin? But rather, he anticipates that question. When we go into verse 7, he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? All right? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law has said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but then the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. 
and the commandment which was to bring life I found to bring death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. So he asked this question, is the law sin? Is it bad? Was it there to make me sin? And he says, no. All right, certainly not. But what does the law do? It allows me to know what sin is. And he goes on and says, you know, I wouldn't have known uh, what covetousness was until it, unless it said, you shall not covet. But, you know, I think about this, you think, about laws we may have in societies or what maybe our parents say that we shouldn't be doing. And then, you know, think about maybe alcohol and drugs. Shouldn't be doing those things. We have laws against them. But that curiosity arises. And we think, well, what what are they they holding back from me? And I think this is kind of what's going on here when he's saying that sin takes up, when taking opportunity by the camera, by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire and knowing what that sin is and knowing that that, that, that that practice was sin it just causes me to say well what am I missing out on that curiosity arises that desire that temptation arises and it causes me to to commit that sin now he says for apart from the, the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. I think what he's saying is just, you think about young kids, that there's, there's, there's a time which we don't know what sin is, we don't comprehend what sin is, and if we can't comprehend, we don't know what sin is, there's no accountability for that sin. But when we know what it is, the commandment comes, what happens? Again, we see that we do, we know what is wrong, we still commit it, and then we're guilty. He says, sin revives, and I died. And so going on to verse 10, he says, in the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. You'll read a lot of different passages, I believe it's in Leviticus chapter 18, and it's re-emphasized in other passages that says that if one follows the law, that they, that they are to live by it, that they can live uh, by the law, that these things were good. This is what God wanted his people to live by. But what was the problem? Nobody was able to keep it. Nobody was able to live up to it to the, to the fullest, perfectly. All right, And because of that, we have consequences for, from that. We broke that law, and now what was good and what could bring life to me, it now brings death. I'm now facing judgment. I'm facing the consequences of my own decisions. And again, he says, For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it, it killed me. All right, I'm now dead spiritually. There has to be something that has to happen so that I can have those sins forgiven so that I will be made alive again. And he says, therefore, the law is holy, so it's good. I can live by those things of, of the law, but the problem here is not the law itself. It is me and the decisions that I make. And so there's a problem. And we see, well, you, you go to chapter 8, and we see that there's a problem, which is sin. 
But again, we can now be raised in newness of life through Christ. Now, we have that. We see the law through it. The the, the sin takes occasion uh, through the through the law to deceive me to fall into sin. That takes us into verse thirteen. And he asks another question: Has then what is good become death to me? All right. So the law. All right. The knowledge of sin comes to the law. Uh, I am tempted, I choose that sin, and so then, through that, I, it causes death, and so then, what is good, has then what is good, the law, has it become death to me? And he says, certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful, all right? So that the, the, there was a reason for this. Remember in Galatians, I believe it's in, in chapter 3, that the law was our tutor to bring us through to Christ, that it teaches us something. And this is what Paul is saying here, that the law is teaching me something. It, I, through it, I know what sin is. It was producing death in me through what is good. So what? So sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. I know how bad it is. I know that there is something that has to give, that has to change, so that that, that restitution can be made on my behalf for that sin. Which leads us to, to, to verse 14. And this is... I think this is, starting in verse 14 is where the problem started as far as interpreting Romans 7. Because the question is, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And so it's written in a, in a present tense. But the question is, is Paul talking about himself right now? Is Paul saying right now that he is carnal and sold other sin or is he talking about some past life is is he talking about what what the situation that he was in before he came to Christ and I just want to look at one passage in Romans 8 Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 it says for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So he's clear. He says, to be carnally minded is death. So we got a problem here. So is, is Paul saying in Romans 7, okay, currently I'm carnal, sold under sin, well, if that is him right now, well, he shouldn't be writing this book. He needs to go repent is what he should be doing. But if he's carnal, then, well, he's subject to death, all right? He's at enmity against God. He's not subject to the law of God, and he cannot please God because he's in the flesh, all right? And so we also see in 1 Corinthians that these Christians— they're called saints, but the, Paul also says, you are still carnal. You are acting carnally. 
And what's he trying to tell them? You need to change. Give up all these divisions that you may have in your own mind about following other individuals and only follow Christ. And so the problem is, is that it just doesn't make sense that Paul is talking about his situation right then because he would, he would also be convicted himself saying, I'm an enmity against God. I'm, I'm an enemy of God right now while writing this. And so what seems to be the most likely interpretation here is that he's talking about his life under law, what those that are not Christians yet, what their situation is. And so he says in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, whoops, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. You read that and you have to be careful because you get tongue-tied with that because it's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things going on. And I think the key is, and, I, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I think the key to keep in mind is in verse 23 here. I think this is really what's going on. Summing up what's happening, says, But I see no law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. There's this fight between the flesh and the mind that they're warring with one another. I know what to do, but I don't do it. The things I know that I shouldn't do, well, those are the things that, that, that I'm doing. And he's saying in verse 15, for what I'm doing, I don't understand. Now, I don't think what he's saying here is that he's just acting like a little robot and he has absolutely no control. But it seems like doing those things and there's just not this complete comprehension of of the full consequences of of what's, what's happening. That you can know, but you just don't, you just don't fully get it. I think that's kind of what he's saying here. And I want to use, a, I guess, a very simplistic uh, idea here. And, whoops, this was my PowerPoint. I thought I should. But I want to use a very simplistic idea that kind of, at least in my mind, kind of simplifies what Paul was thinking here. But if you've heard me talk about going to the Mexican restaurant lately, you'll realize that I'll say, I shouldn't go. I completely understand that I shouldn't go. All right, because I know what happens when I go to the to the Mexican restaurant. There's just there's a 99 percent chance that there's no self control that occurs there. It's just that that is just what happens. All right, and so I know what I should be doing. I shouldn't be going there. All right, but in about an hour from now, that'll start looking pretty good, right? And so that that starts creeping in. Now, I know, and it stays in my mind, I know I shouldn't be going there the whole entire time. But as time goes on, what happens? That desire creeps in. That temptation creeps in. All right? And you start thinking, well, if I go there, maybe I'll I'll just get this, but I won't eat the three three, bags of chips beforehand. You know, maybe show a little bit of self-control. We know that's not going to happen. All right? 
And so you go on, you go on, you keep making justifications. That desire grows and grows. And so what do you do? You go to the Mexican restaurant, and then afterwards, you know, this is a live shot of me after the fact, knowing that I shouldn't have done it, right? And I think this is kind of what Paul is saying. And again, this is, we're talking about sin here. We're not talking about going to the Mexican restaurant. But I think this is what Paul is, is getting at, is that I, I know what I should be doing, all right? But I don't do it. There's like this war. It's just my flesh just kind of just gets to the point where it just kind of controls me. And then I do it. And I know that I should be doing certain things. And I know that I should not be doing them. But I do them anyway. And there's this war between the flesh and the mind. And he says, for, for, it is to, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. I, I know what I should be doing, and I know that I should not be going there, and I know I shouldn't be you know, eating like this, I shouldn't be eating fast food, I shouldn't be eating ice cream, all that stuff, but I still do it. And it's just, like, it's just this war that's just continuing on and on within me. And he says, for the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So this, this, this desire, this temptation just grows and grows and grows to the point where it's just like, it's almost in a sense controlling us. You know, we have no control over those things. And so... We see in verse 21, he says, I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from the body of death, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And so we see this struggle, again, going back and forth. But who's going to deliver from us? All right? We know that we can't deliver ourselves just by our own sheer strength. All right? But we see in verse 25 that God can deliver us from this death you know, from this being captive to this law and sin. And so he ends as he says, So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And so I want to look at, I think the first few verses of chapter 8 kind of kind of helps finish this thought. And he says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Notice, you'll see, in the, if you're paying attention in chapter 7, that you see the law, sin, and flesh are all interconnected together. And he says here that if you're in Christ Jesus, now there's no condemnation for you. But notice about those who are in Christ Jesus. They don't walk according to the flesh. They're no longer walking according to that law. They're no longer walking in that sin. All right? But we see that the law, we see for the law, the spirit of life of Christ Jesus has made me free from that law of sin and death. 
for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit the things of the spirit. So we see in verse 5. Right? So those that are in the flesh, right? So what Paul was just previously thinking of, there's this war going on, but he says that they're, this is what they do. They're setting their minds on things of flesh. They're concerned about these things. But then he says those that live according to the Spirit, they're setting their minds on the things of the Spirit. There's a change that happens when one becomes a Christian, all right? We're no longer, uh, you know, focusing on the flesh, focusing on, you know, you know, the things of the law. We're now under Christ's law, and so there's this complete change. We're now walking in this newness of life. We're no longer bound to that sin. We're no longer bound to those things in the past. And we see in Romans chapter 6 this, this idea of the old man and the new man that we die, our old man dies with Christ through baptism, and then we're raised to walk a new man, raised to walk in newness of life. And so there's a complete change that happens. And so I think that obviously we still struggle with that, right? We still struggle with these same things. That war is happening every day for us, all right? But, again, we recognize who's going to free us from that. God's going to give us a way to flee from those sins. He's going to help us to not succumb to those sins. And so there's hope for us. It's not just that we just, our desire gets so bad and we just, oh, I just got to do it. There's never, it never gets so bad. That's what God promises us. It never gets so bad to where we are just going to fall into that sin. And so again, Paul recognizes that struggle. He sees that struggle. But the only freedom that can occur from that is through following Christ. And so, I know we kind of breeze through chapter 7. I think there's a lot more that we could talk about. But I think this is really what Paul is talking about. He's talking about these things in the past, this, this struggle that takes place. But, again, we can be delivered from that uh, through Christ. So if there's anyone here today who wants to be delivered from that sin, who wants to walk in that newness of life, we certainly would like to help you in any way that we can. Uh, if you are a Christian, we, I, I, we recognize that it's a daily struggle with sin, and uh, if you've fell back into sin, you need to confess something, you need the prayers of the saints for whatever reason, we certainly offer this time of invitation now as we stand and as we sing, will you come? <laughs>